All right, greetings. Happy end of CPI day. We survived it. Uh, thank you very much for joining me and Craig Shapiro. We are from LaDukeTrading.com. I'm the founder and Craig is our resident macro advisor, also hedge fund manager. So we decided to do a little impromptu um, plan for discussing CPI and all that is happening in fixed income credit of Forex world. Um, and also just to kind of reassess, where do we go from here? Is this the capitulatory low um, or do we still need to know what we own? So with that, Craig, um, thank you so much. I know that you have just kind of reemerged after uh, Hurricane Ian, which was a big, big drama. Um, yes. Craig actually has been um, a longtime client of Leduc Trading and then uh, moved down to his home in Naples with his wife and four kids during COVID and then just got um, obviously hit very, very hard with the recent hurricane and went sprung right into action with his family to do community support. So he's kind of re-entering um, in this, uh, this market dynamic we had of major gains in two days of last week, completely unwound by end of week, uh, which was a, a really nice chasing environment in both directions. And then today we had our CPI, which was a beat, um, market decided after Europe closed to spring forward in a very big chase uh, for those scalp longs. But the question remains, despite this very strong bounce today, do you feel that the lows are in, Craig? I don't. Um, I, I think uh, the framework that I've been using um, to, to try to understand the trend of the tape and where things are going is being largely driven by net liquidity that the Fed um, is either putting into the market or taking away from the market. And, you know, we've seen all year with quantitative tightening, um, with, with bills at the reverse repo window, with bills in the Treasury general account that you know, liquidity is being contracted and the rate hikes obviously are accelerating that as well. So um, the, the CPI print today uh, it was another strong hot print. Um, and if you look at some of the measures like the Atlanta sticky CPI or the Cleveland trim mean, these are all highs for the year. So it's a broad range of, of inflation that is beyond, you know, what we saw early in the trend about used cars or gasoline or what have you. This is, this is wide range of inflation that is spread throughout the economy. And it's creating conditions that make it, you know, very challenging for the Fed to change its course or provide liquidity again. And it's my view that you need liquidity. The market needs liquidity in order for, for stocks to work, for risk assets to work. So as we extend the timeline to when we're going to get that again, we have risk off environment. So today with the CPI print, I thought, I thought the bond market reacted kind of appropriately. I mean, we have rises in the terminal rate up towards 4.85 or 4.87 percent you know euro dollar futures for june uh, for may uh, march and june of next year have five handles um you know even even the long end was was weak um curve flattened a bit but you know we had a bond auction today and, and everyone's underwater in that in, in that purchase so i think fixed income reacted um appropriately as far as equities are concerned today, look, I mean, I, I, I thought the reaction right at the onset when NASDAQ was down three plus percent, like made a lot of sense because 
felt like that was, um, you know, the, the risk market saying, we have a problem here. The Fed's not going to be providing liquidity anytime soon. Multiples will contract. Inflation is high. Earnings momentum is negative. That's, that's the right reaction. And then, you know, as the morning progressed and put monetization kind of kicked off and mm -hmm. vol compression accelerated, uh, which tends to happen after a binary event like we had, um, you know, markets really went, went crazy. And, and I, think, I think you put in the, in the chat and it had been going around that, you know, client or, or somebody bought, you know, 23,000, uh, 3,600 calls for tomorrow, paid a buck 30 and change for them. And they went, you know, and that created a, a massive squeeze and massive. They went dealer, to 50, 60 within 10 minutes. Dealer scramb dealers, right, dealer scrambling, yeah. buying upside, you know, Delta hedging. So it, it almost, you know, you created a kind of self-perpetuating, you know, you know, motion machine that just went went haywire. And I would I would say also, FX markets today acted, you know, bizarre in in, in a way. Um, we had that that stuff overnight or in the early morning that the UK was considering kind of going back on some of their fiscal, um, you know, uh, spending plan that maybe there'd be a a raise in the corporate tax rate or. You know something that would make it uh, so the budget wasn't as expansionary um, that helped the pound rally uh, materially and I think kind of left people off sides uh, today. So a lot of what I think we were seeing was you know some of that ball compression, uh, which levitates markets, and then you had this big alpha unwind because crowded positioning you know was 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 kind of getting hit. And so as as managers are taking down risk and taking down both sides of their books. You know these crowded positions were were getting unwound, and so there, there was a lot of that going on too today. So you had a bit of an alpha unwind, you had a bit of vol compression, and you know Nasdaq finishes up two and a half percent, and you know people feel like maybe maybe the bottom is in. But I don't know. I think I think fixed income markets are uh, are right in this case, and you know we'll see. I mean, I I I, I suspect you know over the course of the next you know few days or or weeks. Um, more of this reality will set in about, you know, the 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 end of the Fed pause uh, thesis and you know kind of continuing to push out these rate hike expectations. Correct. And I actually I posted that this morning um, in Market Thoughts when we closed the room. I said this VIX chart is going to kind of show the way, which is as this weakens, obviously scalp longs have the wind at their backs. Um, and then a client posted, we had a massive, um, you know, Delta hedging unwind here with that SPX uh, 3600 call. So it was a significant amount of Delta uh, to buy. So we did have a very sharp uh, scalp, but big picture, I did also, you know, same idea, which is that we still have um, Bank of England tomorrow, right, which is uh, removing accommodation and pension Funds barely made it out uh, alive last week when they um, were in serious trouble, actually two weeks ago, excuse me. And intraday, we did have some dollar swaps that were quite interesting on an intraday basis. I just want to kind of show that um, on the chart. We were tracking this in the room with the British pound really reversed intraday. Uh, same thing with the euro across the board, but they're still in protracted downtrends. So this is still not a safe looking bet in either case, especially for um, the, the pounds 
sterling. So this is definitely a bounce that we had right back into resistance. But until it gets and closes above this and moves higher, it's still in a protracted downtrend. But then the same thing with um, the yen and the yuan. We had some massive um, push higher, which we've been looking for, right? The Bank of Japan line in the sand, 145. It continues to percolate higher. This is definitely risk off. You've been warning about this uh, since a long time and with the dollar uh, yuan as well since April. So this is definitely coiled. It's still moving higher. Um, again, we have this very large reversal, um, you know, intraday, which caused also the help of the, um, the uh, put monetization. I absolutely agree with that. So what do you see as next? We have the CPI out of the way, so to speak. It was obviously quite bullish. We have Bank of England tomorrow. Um, removing accommodation. We still have a lot of FX risk. There's no question. I would say we got a lot of um, technical short-term levels that just triggered, meaning we had just, you know, 3,500 SPY, nice place to cover. But we still have protracted um, monthly rollover in very key, you know, big picture NASDAQ um, levels that are, very unlikely to hold, in my opinion. So where do you think we go tomorrow with Bank of England? Yeah, I mean, so Bank of England is supposed to kind of cease bill purchases, I guess, as the, of the close tomorrow. And, and so really, I think that's really more of a weekend, you know, a weekend risk type mm -hmm. thing. Are they going to announce something over the weekend that says, we're serious, we're not going to be supporting? Are they going to say, we're kidding, we will support? Is the is the government going to announce something? I know there was some back and forth today um, where the chancellor said, you know, we're waiting till October 31st when we get to decide. So um, I'm not sure. I, I think, you know, the QE that the Bank of England did was very important. Um, and so if they take it away uh, come next week, I, I suspect we're going to see, you know, fixed income selling again. Um, you know, I was noticing earlier this that, you know, 10 year gilts yields are 4.2%. And 10-year treasuries are, you know, 395. I mean, I don't know. I feel like yields in the UK should be way higher than yields in the uh, in the US, um, you know, kind of given the inflation position, given the net energy situation. So, but, you know, as, as we transition, you know, into tomorrow and into next week, the market becomes a little bit less macro and a little bit more micro in some respects, mm -hmm. because we have earnings season kicking off and you know, JP Morgan starts tomorrow and well, kind of all the banks are in either tomorrow or Monday. And then we have a ton of industrial and, and um, cyclical earnings next week and then big tech earnings of the week after. And, you know, typically we, we get kind of correlations falling during earnings season um, as certain things do well, certain things do poorly. Um, positioning obviously is very important. How, how are guys positioned into these prints, you know, how do the early reporters react to good news or bad news often dictates, you know, whether or not, um, you know, multi-manager community will want to own positions for these prints. So uh, I think JP Morgan tomorrow will be very interesting. Just uh, there's obviously a big move today off the lows and you know, decent volume there. So, you know, I mean, bank earnings, I, I don't suspect they're going to be very good, but, you know, we'll see the reaction and that might help set the stage for what, what next week will bring. But, um, you know, as far as the underlying trends are concerned, I mean, you know, the other thing I would say is since tomorrow we do have three Fed speakers, uh, George, Cook, Waller. Uh, Waller's talking about CBDC, so it may not be 
the right forum unless he gets a Q&A. And then we have Bullard over the weekend. So look, I think the Fed messaging is going to continue to be one of inflation is out of control. <laughs> we need to keep tightening. Um, it's broad throughout the economy. You know, our, our rate hike plan is um, set and, you know, we don't really anticipate changing that. So I don't think there's going to be necessarily anything materially incremental that comes out, but it should be, um, you know, a continuation of that, of that hawkish, you know, messaging. So um, tomorrow also is retail sales and, you know, you mesh inflation expectations. And, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm watching for is, uh, you know, what, what are the types of signals we could get um, that would allow the Fed maybe to slow down its rate hike um, agenda? You're not going to see that in, in the real data. You're not going to get that in the inflation data really anytime soon. Um, you're not going to get that in the labor market data, which has been incredibly robust, mm -hmm. um, a very tight labor market. And, you know, the Fed is looking for, you know, jolts to go down, to soften wages, to soften the wage price spiral. And this is going to take a long time. Um, so, you know, how could they really pivot based on either one of those things um, when they're kind of both above, well above mandate? It's hard to believe. But on financial stability, that is the place where, um, you know, market participants seem to think the Fed is, you know, always ready to provide liquidity in case things get out of control. Um, you know, Waller last week basically said there's no issues right now. Um, and most of them have kind of reiterated that. So uh, for me, I think we need to we would need to see a kind of significant fall in inflation expectation yields and break-even yields, some forward indicator of inflation becoming unanchored again, but this time to the downside, um, where a deflationary bias, a deflationary bust uh, backdrop was starting to get priced in. We're just not there. Yeah. Um, the five-year, five-year. Um, you know, inflation expectations or, or break-even yields are up, you know, we're up about two basis points today. Uh, they're up like 15 or 18 basis points in, you know, this month. So, and across the entire curve, you know, two-year break-evens are up 15 basis points today, largely that's energy-driven. Um, so, you know, the Fed is really running the risk again of, of this, this bizarre dynamic where the market front runs, um, their behavior starts to go risk on um, and we start to kind of loosen financial conditions again in a way that makes it impossible to kind of solve the inflation dilemma. So um, right now, since I don't see, you know, CPI turning, I don't see labor market turning, and I don't see inflation expectation yields dropping, I, I don't see how the Fed is going to be able to move off of this hawkish tightening agenda. And so that's the, you know, that's the reason for my continued kind of negative outlook on risk assets, you know, kind of through through the weekend and you know through the end of the month and into next month. I'm showing a post. Um, I'm obviously in agreement, and I love how we come at it from very different perspectives. Your um, macro view, obviously, and the granularity of what's happening um, with the economic data and the uh, the credit markets as well. You also track liquidity very closely, which I do. I came from it um, from an intermarket perspective largely and then drill down to the micro and just kind of revisiting this deflation of wages ended with COVID article that I did a year ago. I bring this up because today I posted for clients an update on that chart. This is the exact chart that I had in that post from October of 2021 with the whole premise that wage demand would be lagging it would be very sticky. It would increase 
it would outperform in time productivity, that would be the enemy of bonds in a nutshell. So spied basically this large kind of head and shoulders on this 40-year channel of the 30-year treasury bond price. And this is it today. And I continue, and I know it, it, it's pain, it pains a lot of our, you know, larger institutional clients that have a, 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 a solid holding in the bond proxies, but the fact of bonds and bond proxies, it's not done going down. So every, every month, every week, I'm going over, is there a bounce area? You know, is it safe? Is it done? And I still contend that this inflation is more than sticky. We've been on that rant for two years. Um, wage inflation is very strong. Uh, kind of a Goldilocks, if you will, right now with this low unemployment and uh, the job, the jolts that are coming down are actually being replaced by job, you know, they're filling the, the positions. So we've got a ways to go before the Fed um, tightens their grip, but loosens their grip. But I still think regardless, this head and shoulders has played out really well. Uh, we still haven't based, we have to base. We have to then turn and follow through and move back higher to be bullish. And I know that many people are looking at TLT as a great opportunity to also kind of go in for, you know, multi-year um, wins here. But I, I contend that they're still trying to catch a falling knife. So this is a chart that I gave clients back in June and just of last year. And it is definitely we sliced right through 105, which actually surprised me how weak it was. We had no substantive bounce at all. And I was expecting we might have a little bounce into resistance before a fall. We didn't. We just fell. We fell right through to 199. We've, ha we've had a minuscule bounce. There's nothing here that says um, this is safe yet. So this higher yield regime and um, lower bonds is still big picture. My main theme. And then the bond proxies. So if you take Apple or Tesla and basically put together a ratio as it relates to the 10 year, you can also see when they rolled over and they're still meat on the bone short. So I'm not seeing, and especially Tesla, oh me, oh my. So as it relates to um, these growth plays, mega cap tech, the generals of Apple and, and Tesla, for example, um, they're the last ones to fall in this NASDAQ underperformance um, for 2022, just like in 2000, it was Cisco, right? And the big, the, 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 all the little ones fell, <laughs> the big high flyers, um, the high PE plays absolutely were demolished. And then the generals fell and the market continued down for another, you know, 40, 50%. So I, I'm seeing the same type of risk, big picture. Um, that's not to say today wasn't a hell of a short covering rally, but it was of short of such short duration right before the weekend risk that it's hard to take it seriously. So do you see that? Uh, yeah, that? I, yeah, I think, you know, often we get these these counter trend moves um, that that seemingly come out of nowhere, nowhere. Um, and, you know, as you're sitting in front of the screen, it, it kind of creates a narrative in your mind that, you know, something is fundamentally different or people have figured things out that you haven't figured out. And the collective wisdom of markets, you know, has is moving past whatever thesis you're, you know, you're espousing. And, and but a lot of times it's just, you know, the dynamics of daily option activity mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and squeezes and positioning. And it's really, you know, it's really nothing um, but trying to shake, shake people out of positions. And, you know, bear markets do a great job of killing bulls and bears. Um, and I think that's what we're, 
and that's what we're experiencing. But you know, just kind of stepping back from what today's data really said um, was that the Fed thus far really has had no evidence that what they've been doing is working. Clearly, um, very, you very know, clearly. And, you know, you just have you know. Except to bid a dollar higher. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think, you know, there, there's, you know, some interesting dynamics, you know, in play there about what the dollar strength, you know, in this kind of energy environment means for our allies, you know, what it means for Japan, what it means for the UK, what it means for Europe, um, these countries who are, you know, unable to procure cheap energy anymore since they're not buying from Russia. Um, it's putting them at a significant competitive disadvantage against the rest of the world. Um, and against the U.S., who has, uh, a, you know, a, a very sizable uh, domestic energy presence and can continue to buy cheap natural, you know, our manufacturing companies are continuing to buy cheap natural gas. Um, and so from a global competitive position, the U.S. Is, remains in an incredibly uh, strong situation. But, you know, as the dollar rallies and as energy prices remain firm, you know, the UK, Japan, and Europe have to continue to sell US dollar assets in order to pay up for energy. And the selling of those assets are often treasuries, which is putting pressure on yields, which is strengthening the dollar more, uh, which is creating a bigger currency issue for those countries. And we kind of are in this, this doom loop scenario um, where the currencies are becoming the outlet. Um, certainly in Japan, the currency is the outlet as, as the government continues to buy, you know, with yield curve control. But in the UK now, the currency and the bond market have become an outlet. And, and I suspect Europe next, the bond market will become an outlet um, in Europe too, because I don't suspect that Europe um, has any real ability to control this inflation situation because of their energy import needs. Um, and so I think that dynamic, you know, remains with us, um, you know, for weeks, if not months. And what I think the US has done with the, with the SPR release has helped uh, keep energy prices down, which has slowed down the need for those countries to sell US treasuries in order to raise dollars to buy energy. But we're getting towards the tail end of the practical ability of the US to continue to sell um, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Yeah. Um, and so- terms. It, right, and if, as, as that starts to become noticed and crude prices, you know, find a bottom, see maybe they have, um, mm -hmm. and start moving higher again, um, that's gonna put more pressure on these countries again to start selling more treasuries, pushing yields higher, weakening their currency, strengthening the dollar. And I, I think that dynamic will stay with us. Um, so you know, it just doesn't seem like a great um, outlet for, for risk-taking. Yeah. Um, and if we it's get, like yeah, if we get, and if we get the earnings coming through tomorrow and into next week that are not, that are not great, um, you know, People will start to take down numbers significantly for 2023. Mm -hmm. um, Before we know. jump to earnings, I want to yeah. just address this chart that I have that I'm sharing of WTIC, which is on a weekly. Granted, we're not quite there yet. It's only Thursday after market close. But I have, a, as you know, right, this 93, 94 area has been like a big deal um, from when we hit that 130 back in March and then kind of traveled along this trend line. Um, from November 2020 to November 2021, and now approaching November 2022. The point is, this is a weekly level that I believe if we get and stay above this uh, moving average, it's basically 94 on a weekly, we will see higher oil come in. And I think that's going to also create some of that ripple effect. 
Um, we have uh, also a chart that I love to show of earnings, which is on a monthly, not a weekly. And again, that's WTI crude oil. I really like this chart for hire. It came down and, and tagged that 75.77 area. It actually hit a low of 76.25 and then bounced quite firmly. Even though we knew OPEC was going to be cutting, <laughs> it didn't sell off after very aggressively. It should have been a, you know, by the rumor of OPEC cutting, you know, sell the news and it still continued higher and it closed extremely well. And basically it is, uh, it is looking pretty darn bullish if you ask me. Um, even USLD, which is not a really common um, futures vehicle, but we have this inverse head and shoulders. It uh, broke above this trend line from June and it has based and it's also looking like it's going to intonate higher. So I had a baseline um, bet that if we broke below 93 on the monthly, we would move lower into that 75, maybe even overshoot to 65. We got stabilized at 75 and crude. And then basically um, SPR releases be damned. It, uh, oil is still firm. Oil is still rising up. Oil still looks bullish. So if we close above 94, I think we're going to see um, a higher uh, spike in oil as well as in yields. As you know, I'm you and I are both very inflation is sticky. Um, I think yields have more to go and, and bonds have more to go, obviously, inversely. But now we have earnings coming up and you were just talking about earnings. And I know this is kind of a campy little uh, hangout here of um, shock and awe. But this goes back to the 1990s and it's Gap SPX. I know that may not be as popular and sexy as many do their accounting these days, but it's a fabulous intermarket tell for when we have nice trending environments, um, when we have overbought and oversold. And clearly from COVID, this bubble that we have seen now um, unwind in a lot of tech plays, but um, across the board, weakness. And now they're, you know, they're, they're definitely... Um, ratcheting down their expectations, we're just about ready to cross over. So I kind of joked when I posted this um, last week that a retest is, is in the cards, right? So, we're, you know, earnings expectations are coming down. That one, that, that's pretty consensus right now. Um, that could be the soft landing that um, the Fed's talking about. Otherwise, this is going to be a kind of fake breakout, fast failure and fall back inside trend. And then that would mean we've got lower to go. So I think this earnings season, look where we are. I mean, this is just, it's not going to stay here very long. It's, this is a monthly chart, but it's absolutely intonating a break lower. And uh, obviously we've, uh, we've got some price action to support that. But um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on where this might end up? How, how bad do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I, th I mean, that's a good question. I, I you know, I think, um, you know, kind of garden variety earnings recession, if that's, if that's all we get, you know, maybe in the, you know, 20, 25% range down from, you know, in 23 versus 22, or, you know, one half 23 annualized, whatever the numbers may, may be. Um, but, you know, with, with yields, you know, still in this four to five percent range. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, really hard to see um, why it might not be worse. Um, and so, you know, I think that's the that, that's the big question. Certainly, there also will be a shift in the dynamics of of earnings, right? I mean, we'll get because of this upstream commodity tightness. You know, we'll have energy prices, energy companies that are 
you know, reporting reasonable earnings and reasonable earnings growth and, you know, tech companies and, and consumer cyclicals, you know, will we not, not be. And so given the composition of indexes, um, you know, it's just, you know, I suspect that we're going to see, you know, strong earnings declines year over year, uh, you know, coming from, you know, those sectors. And, um, you know, my supposition is it, it will be worse. It'll be worse than a, than a 25% fall. And so then the question is, if we're talking about, you know, 175 or 180 earnings for next year and multiples in the low to mid teens, I mean, that's how you start to, you know, paint the picture of a market that's less than 3,000 you know, over the yep. course of the next six months, because you know, we should, we should start to be, yeah, we should start to be pricing that in, you know, you know, here as we, as we turn into the new year. So I'm showing uh, right now, this is, you know, forward earnings, but um, obviously a kind of a parabolic top that is now in distribution. We haven't even really rolled over yet. Um, definitely. I'm skeptical as well. I see not only my gap SPX chart as, dangerously close to a strong rollover um but pretty much you know we've we've seen this peak in um in in liquidity which you have your chart to demonstrate that should I, i'll bring that up that you sent that to me in dm obviously peak valuations we're just unwinding the bubbleness of it all um and then of course peak earnings were were intonating down the mountain finally dancing down the, the mountain in earnings um, price obviously front run front ran that. Um, Hunter's asking about uh, in semiconductor land, uh, given global tensions with Russia and China, do you feel semis are still overvalued um, or have a long way down, you know, to go? He knows my thing. I call it. There's a, still a lot of meat on the bone short for semis. Obviously, timeframes matter. Um, but what's your what's your sense in regards to semis and global tension with Russia and China? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, semis kind of are, will react, um, you know, quicker because they're more cyclical. Um, and so earnings, you know, expectations, you know, in the sector have come down, I would say, you know, fast, maybe faster. Um, but maybe valuations are are more attractive than some of the high beta tech stuff. But, you know, I think, look, I think in a bifurcated global supply chain world where we're deglobalizing, um, you know, it, it's, it, you know, semis really are at the, the, the center of that uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and so, uh, you know, is, is TSM going to be, you know, moving towards the, the east or moving towards the west? I mean, these are big geopolitical mm -hmm. questions that are hard to, you know, are hard to navigate or hard to know kind of right now. But I, but I think, you know, having an understanding of this geopolitical environment is going to be important for how you how you trade. You know, these spaces. I mean, if we start to get, you know, more domestic capacity growth in in the U.S. because we need clearly we need it here, and then you know, China does their own thing. I mean, you know, it, it's maybe there'll be a bottom for you know for semis earnings because you know we need to we the U.S. needs to build up its own semi industry. Um, well, the West needs to build up its own semi industry, but um, you know. Again, I think for for now we're still talking about significant earnings, you know, negative earnings revisions, and I think that's the, you know, that that'll trump kind of this this geopolitical this geopolitical wild card. And I have a chart, um, Hunter, which I've posted as well for clients to kind of show this rollover in semis. It's a ratio chart with um, with the S and P and how we've broken a trend line. Um, we're 
really, we've got some lower levels. It's very similar, obviously, to the one that I do with NASDAQ, right? This is how it started in January and NASDAQ to SPY, and this is how it's going, right? So there's a, a big component of semis in this, um, you know, tech-filled um, mega cap as well with with Nvidia, uh, with mega cap tech, and with the um, the larger Nasdaq. So I still see some room for lower. Long story short, in in semis, and um, unfortunately, I, it, it's I have to keep coming up with lower price targets because they continue to have a protracted downtrend. So it's really tough for me to see this earnings season of all earnings season as the place that we're going to bottom and turn and move higher in, in, in semis. I, I definitely don't feel that way. I think energy is still, as he asks, you know, um, energy for many years, you know, do they have some strong growth? Um, definitely. He's kind of noting the bad green policies, but uh, ESG initiatives, but do you think it's dividend safe haven? So how are you, how are you invested in energy plays? Yeah. I mean, I have some, um, you know, it's really the only sector that I have, you know, some length in, um, in my, in my overall portfolio, I have some domestic US EMPs, like an NOG, um, and sometimes XOP, um, in there, I have some, some global tanker stocks like STNG and frontline. I think those are interesting plays as, as the world needs to, you know, find more oil and store more oil and oil becomes a reserve asset, um, as countries, you know, don't want to hold or can't hold U.S. Treasuries anymore as reserves. So, you know, having access to oil and storing oil is important. And there's just not a lot of new supply coming in, in the tanker industry. Um, LNG has been another name that, I, that I've had. It's worked. Um, you have. It's worked this. really, really well. I'm putting up a chart right now of those three that you just spoke about. And this is our, so ignore. This is the weekly chart. It has been a perfect trend trade, staying above the 10-week. And I might add, very, very few, like I can count under 20 that have this type of gorgeous 45 degree angle staying firmly on a close above the 10 week. LNG had a little bit more distribution. I remember when you recommended this, oh goodness, this was, um, I think it was below 80, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it was in that, in that period. Down there, but it's yeah. been gorgeous as well, no question about it. And then a recent one of yours, meaning like six months ago, um, was frontline and it had a little bit more chop to it, but explain, you know, yeah, it's definitely more, that's definitely more of a higher beta volume name, you know, yeah. high leverage, high debt, you know, situation, but, um, well, yeah, look, I think broadly energy assets are, you know, particularly Western energy assets, U S energy assets, or whether they're ships, whether they're, you know, EMPs that, that, that own, you know, production capacity pipelines. I think, you know, again, this, in this world where we need, more calories and where certain countries can only buy from certain other countries, um, you know, there'll be premiums paid for uh, energy assets in Western jurisdictions. And so, um, you know, that's been, uh, that's been an area of focus. I know uranium has been, you know, kind of on and off, you know, I, I, I think there is a trade, you know, general structural trade there. You know, I really have too much, you know, exposure, but, um, you know, it's another area to kind of fill the gap on the energy side. Um, at, at times I don't just that, that, um, you know, some of the fertilizer names or, or a rare earth name. I mean, again, these are, these are us, you know, basically the, the thesis is own us commodity 
producing assets in a world that's kind of short um, commodities and in a world where Russia supplies are not available to, you know, many countries in the West. So, um, you know, there's a, a kind of wide swath of, of, of names and, you know, uh, industries where I have some long exposure, but, you know, broadly speaking, they're still stocks. Um, so, yeah. you know, it's, what's, it's your, what's your position on gold? So gold, gold, I've been starting to, to, to buy upside calls and gold balls come in. I, and it kind of acts as a hedge to a long dollar view that I that I have and express in my portfolio. And ultimately, I think at the point in time when markets get too unwieldy or the dollar strength becomes too much of an issue for someone, whether it's Japan or UK or whatever, and then things start to break, gold will anticipate the eventual release of dollar liquidity that'll come from the Fed. And I think I think the Fed doesn't doesn't want to. I think the Fed is holding out, right? They don't want to be providing liquidity, you know, right now um, for the reasons you know we spoke about earlier. But eventually, if things get get too uh, unwieldy, they'll they'll be forced to, um, and they don't want to be releasing liquidity when inflation is high. But ultimately, we may get to that point. And I think um, gold will anticipate that eventual release and liquidity. I, I was listening to. Uh, Julian Timmer from Fidelity was on earlier. He was just talking about the relationship of the, you know, real yields with gold and how it's kind of broken down. I mean, basically mm -hmm. real yields have been rallying. Two-year real yields are, you know, up above a percent and a half. Let's see a little bit closer to that. Yeah, about 1.49%. I kind of would, would intonate gold down in the low 1200s or 1100 or whatnot and gold 1700. I mean, there, there's a there's something going on. I mean, we could, you know, we don't have to talk about kind of this geopolitical angle with with Russia and what Russia's trying to do to kind of sell its energy in gold or in rubles or anything other than dollars. But um, I think there's a there's a place for gold uh, in a new monetary world order regime that I think is being developed. Um, and so I definitely want to have you know some exposure. So for now, I've just kind of been playing it with upside calls. The chart doesn't look great, but I'm just kind of been, you know, nibbling at it and, um, you know, but, but do think as, 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 as things get worse, uh, gold will relatively outperform. And then as we get closer to that Fed re uh, liquidity release, gold will, will, gold will, you know, perform absolutely. All right. So that, that, um, backdrop is very, very helpful for me to hear. Cause I, tend to not see a benefit at all <laughs> to gold's you know wonkiness um outperforming spy until this particular intermarket chart gets bid up and gets sustainably over 0 0.5 0.55 this is again gold which is continuous contract to S&P and it's just really not um obviously it's not falling as quickly as spy of late but it's absolutely not um a, a safe bet but at some point it will start to get bit up bit up and i think it will run much faster than spy but it just it hasn't gotten there yet yeah. so it's pretty much um you know a tell on this monetary policy failure and that's the worry is when it starts to get bit up we're really in trouble so i tend to not um spend too much time on it, but I want to get your thoughts on where does it make sense to kind of, because it, it's done nothing, right? But fall. In yeah, I mean, you know, but if you look at gold, and, you know, 
But if you look at gold in yen terms or gold in, in pound terms or gold in euro terms, like it's doing much more of its job, right? If you're a citizen of one of those countries that's facing, you know, rapidly deteriorating currency, it's just, yeah. you know, like gold in dollar terms is, you know, for us, it's not, you know, kind of not doing, you know. It's also, it's not cash, right? So that's, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. migration is absolutely clearly to cash. Yeah. As by uh, cross-border capital kind of shows. So there's no question. Gold is not in favor cash is. For sure. All right. So uh, the um, liquidity chart, speaking of liquidity, I want to bring up that you have shown before, hold on one second, has been very, very helpful to your thesis to be max bearish. And I think in this latest go-round, when we topped in August, and I just want to kind of show this, my view and then your view, okay? Let me just get this here and share. I have been on the view, you know, this view that obviously we've been in distribution sold to you top and every, you know, short the rip, short the rip, short the rip. So now we're really continuing to kind of dance down this mountain. There's nothing so far in breadth, like advanced decline. We've also come out of this channel from 2009 um, you know, et cetera, NICE, NASDAQ, it doesn't matter. We're we're in distress here as it relates to um, getting bid back up, but at least it's been orderly. We haven't crashed. You have a liquidity chart um, I want to bring up and ask you, how do you use this? Because I think it's brilliant. And let me go to it and find it. You sent it to me. Where, where is it? That's here, that's yields. I don't know if I got, yes, here it is. Yeah, I mean, look, this, this is, um, I think many people have looked at, you know, kind of the correlation of the Fed's balance sheet with the S&P and noticed, uh, you know, a, a very sizable, you know, correlation. Um, so it's not, you know, not particularly, um, you know, that new. I've noticed others have, you know, try to parse the data a little bit more. I know Darius Dale from Fortitude Macro and a couple others um, have really tried to kind of get into some of the faster moving parts of this where we get real, you know, real time or we get um, weekly, you know, this weekly data. Actually, you know, uh, an update just came out just now, but basically just a, a, a measure of net liquidity. Um, and it's the size of the Fed's balance sheet, less cash at the Treasury general account. Because um, as, the, as the Treasury builds cash, it's removing that cash, you know, basically from the system, from banks and keeps that the Fed. So it's kind of not in the ability of, of investors to use to invest. Um, so it's the Fed balance sheet, less Treasury general account, less the reverse repo, the amount of reverse repos, re amount of money in reverse repo. And what's been happening is, you know, because of where yields are and because of the ability to earn three plus percent by lending uh, securities to the Fed overnight, every night, we have built this reverse repo facility up, you know, well north of, you know, $2 trillion. And, you know, into month, into quarter end, there's a dynamic where it, it, it builds sizably as banks and other uh, funds are kind of forced to, from a regulatory perspective, to take positions down. So as that cash builds at the reverse repo window, we get this kind of risk off um, setting. And then that cash does get put back to work. So the first couple of days of October, we saw a sizable injection of liquidity. Um, so now, you know, again, that that reverse repo should start to build again, the Treasury general account will build, 
um, sizably over the course of the next couple of days because there's a there's a tax payment that's due um, tomorrow uh, Saturday, which gets paid for Monday. Um, and we have QT. So there's a today was kind of the first I think the first time that the Fed didn't bid for the 30 year bond. Um, you know, and there's there's decent size matured it, it, there's decent maturities on uh, October 15th, and then again on October 31st. So, you know, the Fed's doing 60 billion a month of Treasury QT, another 30 up to 35 billion a month of MBS QT. So that that will keep pressure on that, you know, that white on uh, that's the oh. real yield chart. But um, yeah, maybe pull the other chart. But that'll keep pressure on this liquidity indicator. We'll keep moving south. Yeah, that one. Um, the, that white line, um, you know, will keep moving south. Um, you know, probably to the, the degree of a half a, you know, a half a trillion over the course of the next uh, four or five months. So we'll, we'll keep having pressure, um, you know, and liquidity being contracted, and just that 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 correlation to to risk assets is tight. And it makes a lot of sense as as there's less liquidity, there's less leverage in the system, less ability to you know, to, to, to buy assets. And so for me, it's just, it's not that I'm trying to, you know, kind of use this specifically and say, this is the absolute level. This is where it should be every single day, yeah. but directionally from a trend perspective, um, as, as the Fed continues to withdraw liquidity, it, it's very difficult for, you know, for risk assets to move higher. You really have to be very focused on, you know, single names that, you know, are seeing positive earnings revisions or sectors that are, and, you know, as opposed to just kind of this buy and hold, you know, passive mentality. Um, clearly, that's not clearly that's not working this year, and it's not yep. going to work when the Fed's contracting liquidity. And now, since I brought this one up as well, talk to this uh, the the real two year versus Nasdaq. I yeah. love fractal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just another you know kind of fractal that I kind of noticed and put together. I mean, real two year yields moving significantly positive, or just really just indicative of you know how restrictive policy has become, you know, from the Fed and there's, there's reasonably good correlation of kind of forward multiples with uh, with where real yields are and as interest rates and real yields are rising, multiples are compressing. And so, you know, this fractal would intonate, you know, a, a NASDAQ that should be significantly, you know, lower than here. And I think even for, you know, for S&P, you know, real yields above one and a half percent kind of put you from a correlation perspective into S&P multiples in the 13, 14 times range. So, you know, you start to think about a one and a half percent real uh, two year real yield, 14 times earnings, you know, a 20% earnings contraction in 2023 kind of gets you down in the 180 range. <laughs> I mean, this is how you start to put in targets that are 2,500, 2,600, 2,700 on, yeah. on S&P, you know, over the course of the next six months. And I really, I don't really think that's out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's out of the, the realm of possibility at all. In fact, if FX keeps blowing up, um, I think we're going to get there sooner rather than later. And that was not my baseline bet. Once we pulled back, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic. I thought this would happen next year. It's been pulled forward. So this weakness below this, you know, 3,800. Right. You, you know, my first of the year idea, right, for the market was we pulled down 20 percent. So we did that. We bounced from 38 from 3800 is basically this level that we churned around. Um, but we hit the 3676. We bounced up to 4300, basically. And then we just took out that 3676 tagged, you know, a little under 3500. And then this morning, 
bounced up like a daisy once Europe was closed and puts were monetized. But that is indicative of an extremely fragile market, in my opinion, not not the the scalping long um, with, uh, you know, suppression of volatility and the dollar, you know, pulling back and yield softening intraday. Those trends are still hot fire flames, right? Higher yields, oil's looking bullish again um, after this digestion period. And then for sure, dollar is um, in, in, in more valued, let's say, if not very short supply relative to um, other local currencies. So I, you know, I'm, I'm scanning um, not just the pound and the euro looking like they have further to go, shockingly, but the Swiss franc. I mean, whoever, you know, expects for Swiss franc to actually um, get sustainably above one. Um, and I shared that chart yesterday um, that I really think that we're, we're going to percolate higher in some currencies that are not normally, um, you know, risk on. So, uh, yeah risk off, I should say. So this this to me is is going to be a, an important kind of weekend. And if we can stabilize and survive October, we'll have uh, some seasonality in, you know, end of year, November, December. Otherwise, I think we can absolutely take out that 3,500 and keep going lower. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had, I had been thinking we were in this, you know, potential, you know, for lack of a better word, crash window, you know, for with the CPI and now the UK and, you know, and into Monday. I mean, we'll see, we'll see how the reaction is, you know, tomorrow, like I said, I think the, I think fixed income kind of is telling the truth here. Um, and as we, as we continue to push out the timeline to incremental have liquidity, I just, I don't see that being a constructive market uh, for risk, but, you know, positioning is stretched, although less stretched now um, after today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I think the dollar liquidity is, is contracting. I think it's becoming it and has been a mar an issue for emerging markets and now really for developed markets in a way that we haven't seen, you know, in quite some time, maybe since, you know, the late nineties with, with some of the EM crises, but what's going on now is you have these developed market countries that are at risk because they are the energy importers, right? It's the mm -hmm. UK, it's Germany, it's, it's broadly the EU, it's Japan, um, their energy importers, their current accounts are deteriorating mightily um, because of the strong dollar, because of this bifurcated energy world where they can't get access to cheap Russian gas or oil anymore. Um, and so they're really under a lot of pressure. Um, and it will be a question of whether how, how long can the Fed and the U.S. administration kind of sacrifice our allies or, or how long will our allies be willing to sacrifice their own economies and their own citizens, you know, to kind of support this dollar system. I mean, I, I don't, you know, that's a very big picture geopolitical question. That's, you know, happen, answers happen in rooms where we're not invited, but um, that those are the important kind of things to be thinking about. But for now, even this week, Yellen kind of, you know, said it's still our dollar, your problem. Um, and I think as that continues, it, it's, I think that's part, I think that's the reason why your timeline has been accelerated from yeah. what you were thinking. I think that's that dollar move, that contraction of liquidity um, and exacerbated by the Russia situation, which has really prioritized kind of energy resources at, at the foreground of, you know, the monetary order. Um, I, think that, I, I believe that's why things are moving faster now. Yeah, I still, and, and I wrote about this, just kind of scanning through real quick before we kind of close in this macro to micro power hour, 
Um, I was, you know, before today's drop lower um, and reversal intraday, I'm still bearish, obviously, but I had uh, warned and I still believe that this, uh, the crash puts are still in order. I still think that that's actually one area that we don't have. Um, McGalligate from Nomura was actually um, a few days ago putting out that we still don't have, we have got low exposure and high cash, but we don't have crash puts. <laughs> um, we definitely have, as far as I'm concerned, more meat on the bone short in bonds, bond proxies and semis. Um, I had mentioned back in August, if 2.6 on the 10 year on a monthly basis held, expect it to get um, and stay above 3.3, and then that would bring 4.3, 4.5, 4 4.7, and 5.3%. We've already made it up to four. So this was a like first quarter of next year, and we're already up to four. And if we close above there, I still see um, risk of parabolic moves in yields and also in um, potentially oil. Uh, for sure, again, and in dollars. So I don't see nothing has changed. Um, unless the Fed was to come in, you know, really strongly and do some type of, of uh, massive central bank uh, global coordinated intervention and or uh, currency swaps of size, I don't think we're going to have um, a, 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 any change. So this is something that I, that I wrote on um, FOMC day on September 21st. You know, another 100 basis point increase in the 10 year would bring us to that 2023 target of 4.7. We're already at four and pushing up, you know, um, every day. And that would, in fact, bring us down in bonds to TLT. And I think the market itself could fall another 20 percent. That's like 8,800 in NASDAQ. That's not on anyone's bingo card this year. Um, that's around 3,100 in, in S SPX. That's not on anyone's business, real bingo card this year, meaning there's um, analysis and then there's risk management of positions. I don't know if anyone really anticipated this, you know, drum, just drumbeat lower um, in the risk parity trade, right? Um, and where we're going to start to stabilize, as I've shown with my bond proxy um, ratio analysis and also bonds themselves, I don't see a bottom. It's not in yet. <laughs> it, has, it, it, it's, it has to drop and then stabilize and then turn higher. And this intraday bounce that we had on single stop, you know, gamma option explosion is just not a trend reversal. It does not a trend reversal make. So um, anyway, I, I got asked that question. Are we, uh, does today prove that we have a start to a multi-week rally? And my answer was, I want to see follow through. Obviously, I want to I want to see volume come in and stay into the market. I want to see breadth recover. I want to see you know currency stress you know re get relieved. The move index is freaking high. You know the, the FX um, index of volatility is also stunningly high. Bonds are still imploding. So I don't I don't I don't see how one day is a trend reversal. That's me. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I think, you know, I agree with that. I mean, I think, the, you know, the question is where, you know, what is, I think what people are looking for is, you know, what, what, what constitutes financial instability? What are the things that will spook the Fed, kind of force some uh, reaction? Where is the Fed's reaction function? They keep telling you it's not here, it's not here, the put is lower, the put is lower, but um, you know, we got to 3,500 and all of a sudden uh, people believe that the put's here. So, um, you know, I think we need to try to identify, 
you know, where the where the breakages are, where they're more likely to be, are pegs breaking, or, you know, is there a dollar peg that breaks? Is there, uh, like I said, an ally that is having a bond issue? Clearly the UK is, uh, you know, front and center with that. And so, mm -hmm. like I said, I think historically, you know, when, when things really get rough, people start to fear deflationary busts. And yeah. that, um, so that's what I'd be looking for as a signal to say the Fed needs to do something. I mean, we go back to the repo crisis of 2019 in September of 2019, you saw that. You saw that in COVID. You saw the that in 1998 with LTCM. You saw it in you know the financial crisis. It's as these inflation expectations plummet and fears of a deflationary bust start to rise, you're moving closer to a point where the Fed needs to do something. Yes. And so that's what I'm looking for to, you know, as proof that we're closer to the end game of the tightening. And frankly, we were going the opposite way. So, so. I know. And I have to point out this great chart, um, which is basically interest, right, on our U.S. public debt is now going to very, very soon become the number one line item in the Fed budget. And that is what everyone dreads, right? So there's just no, there's no weakness here in this ascent. Um, I have this wonky little intermarket chart that has helped me anyway, as it relates to the bond, you know, fall relative to the Fed budget and also the five-year, you know, uh, yield um, with the Fed funds future rate. And it basically on a, on a big time frame, this happens to be monthly to show multiple decades, we've come into this kind of technical level of when a rate hiking cycle ends, right? We're in one strongly right now. And I love how I can chart anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is a trend line of, oh my goodness, look at that. It, it matched with June, 2000. And oh, it came really close in July of 2006. Um, and anyway, so we have this, you know, trend line of, of substance and then kind of a minor major trend line of substance where I was looking at, well, maybe Fed will pivot or maybe they're going to, um, you know, be way aggressive and they, clearly they're not done. Inflation sticky and all of that employment weight is still extremely low and wages are, are rising, but this really tells me the Fed is trapped. So minimum December, I mean, this is how I interpret my chart, okay? Minimum December, they finally announce, okay, we've, we've done our job. You know, they're, they're not gonna say anything until then, but December is when they actually announce. Maybe they try to pause or, you know, really signal a pivot. They don't get very far. Again, this is on a monthly big picture. And we go right back into weakness right after that. So I'm not seeing, um, again, for my intermarket that, that their rate hiking is done. I still think we have some lower levels and it just, it's it's gonna be a, a very nasty next year. I think they're gonna have a really hard time of, of, of bringing this back. So that's, that's my baseline bet on um, Fed pivot and what it means for a higher interest rate regime. I'm still obviously bullish. And with that, then I'm market bearish, but obviously we can chase and swing the, uh, the bounces um, I'd like to see if we get any follow through um, with this by Monday. Otherwise, I think we're going to have more weakness. And I think the same um, market structure that came in to support this strong bounce at 3,500, right, this morning after you're closed and uh, some headlines hit and what have you, uh, this 
and, and created that delta hedging in, mar in optionality can happen again in the reverse. So at, I guess basically careful on your timeframes and position size. <laughs> so avoid the whiplash. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for for doing this. I mean, I wanted to um, first kind of share what we respectively saw since we're we're running our respective services for Leduc Trading, which is kind of great for clients. They get the best of both worlds. Um, again, Craig runs Macro Advisor as well as our Edge product. Edge is uh, very much focused on customized presence. Um, versus and then a lot of bespoke kind of consulting for clients, um, uh, Bloomberg chat, the like. It's also very much where he provides a lot of trade support. Uh, Macro Advisor is an upgrade to our fishing club, which I run, and he's able to post in Slack along with myself and seven other contributors, by the way. So we cover everything, futures, commodities, oil, you name it. Um, so we actually have a very robust service at Leduc Trading, um, including, you know, the, the, the core fishing club, which has my live trading room and it has um, all the contributor channels. The upgrade is specific for Craig's macro take that he posts in Slack. The customization of Edge is unparalleled. That's where you get all of Craig. So a lot of engagement, a lot of trade management, a lot of um, bespoke consulting. But that macro advisor for those who are interested in the fishing club um, upgrade, it's so well worth it. His takes on credit um, stress, as well as all of these questions that I have about what's really happening in fixed income has helped tremendously to make me a better analyst and trader and educator for my clients. So I want to just, again, thank you so much for joining. We launched this product, um, Macro Advisor and Macro Advisor Edge. Um, it is an upgrade from Fishing Club and a separate product in Edge um, for those who really want that customization and uh, customized presence. So I just wanted to, and uh, James is going to send out, um, I, I believe, uh, a promo, <laughs> yeah. which is for those who want to uh, join and check this out. He's got an incredibly um, sweet offer because I know that, you know, kind of new for some folks. Um, and Craig is, you're understated, Craig. You got to say, you're, you're not looking for the light on Twitter. You, you know, this is, you're a solid analyst and trader. So your risk management is where you spend your time, not Twitter. So we want to spread the word. We want to ask you to also um, spread the word and we will be offering a very substantial discount um, for the next month for Macro Advisor. And thank you again for your time today. We'll get this up on YouTube and um, hopefully some of this uh, conversation and uh, charting will be helpful for managing the risk coming down the pike because we don't think it's done. Yep. Know what you own. <laughs> right. Thank you so cool. much, Greg. Absolutely. Thanks. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye.